Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. The COVID-19 pandemic ended a 21-year growth streak in the Philippine economy, as strict lockdown measures aimed at containing the coronavirus outbreak brought economic activity to a near standstill. Shortly after Q1 GDP data was released in early May, research head Leo Uy asked two economists to break down the data to see exactly how the first two weeks of lockdown damaged the Philippine economy. After parsing the numbers, they also shared their outlook for the second quarter and beyond. Both agree that it's going to be a long, tough road to recovery. You're going to hear from Jeffrey Ducanes, an associate professor at the Ateneo de Manila University Department of Economics. He was awarded the National Academy of Science and Technology Outstanding Young Scientist in Economics in 2014. His research interests include labor and migration, education, poverty, and inequality. His first job after college was in business world as a researcher and then as a reporter. You're also going to hear from Sarah Lynn Salvador Dawai Ducanes, an associate professor at the University of the Philippines School of Economics, from where she also obtained her BS Economics degree, summa cum laude, in 2003, and her MA Economics degree in 2005. She earned her doctorate in economics from the University of California, Riverside, in 2012. Her research interests include macroeconomic theory, monetary theory and policy, and selected topics in development economics. Welcome, Professor Jeff and Professor Sarah. So for this podcast, we'll be talking about COVID-19 and what this means for the country's economic development moving forward. I guess as a starting point for this discussion, we have to talk about the first quarter GDP that was released last week as of this recording. So after 84 consecutive quarters of growth, the Philippine economy finally contracted in the first quarter. Considering that the lockdown has only been implemented in mid-March, and apparently it was enough to actually bring growth into negative territory, was this surprising for you guys? Well, that it was a negative growth rate, yes. We expected a considerable slowdown of economic growth in the first quarter, but not a negative number. Well, remember that we were the fastest growing economy in Asia before the pandemic. Well, it's true that in the first quarter, we also had the Taal episode, apart from the first two weeks of lockdown in Luzon, and also travel from and trade with China were already affected because of the severity of COVID-19 in China. And the measures taken by both their government and our government, such as restricting flights from China. Yeah, we really expected the growth to slow down, but not this negative overall growth number. For me, it was a surprise that it was negative. I was expecting lower, but not negative. Is it safe to say that second quarter is going to be worse now that we're actually going to be feeling the full brunt of the quarantine? Unfortunately, yes. You know, since, again, the first quarter has only seen two weeks of the lockdown. The stricter enhanced community quarantine measures were only put in place during the beginning of the second quarter. So yes, we expect it, unfortunately, to be worse than the first quarter numbers. Now, to give us a sense of where these will be coming from, maybe we can look at the different components of GDP. So this is like Econ 101. Yeah, you can come up with GDP from the demand side or from the supply side. From the demand side, we have C plus I plus G plus NX. C stands for 
aggregate consumption. So this is both household and, and public consumption. And then we have investment for I, G for government spending, and NX for net exports. This is exports minus imports. Now, consumption accounts for about 75% of GDP, at least from 2016 to 2015. In the first quarter, consumption barely grew at about 0.2%. So it's essentially flat. In the second quarter, we expect consumption to go down. So it's likely to be negative as a lot of people were not able to work because of the ECQ in Luzon and other places. And many are also expected to lose their jobs with no immediate prospects for re-employment, especially in the personal services sector such as laundry, spas, etc. The social amelioration program and other government grants and transfers will not fully offset household incomes which were lost due to COVID-19 and, and the lockdown. In terms of travel and tourism, tourism makes up about 10% of GDP. There have been bans both within the Philippines and to and from the Philippines. So we do not expect tourism to pick up anytime soon, even after the lockdown is lifted, especially in the absence of vaccines. Remittances, which form a big part of household income in the Philippines, actually accounts for about 10% of GDP, is also expected to decline now about 20% this year, according to the World Bank, as overseas Filipino workers lose jobs given the weak global economy, implying that households in the Philippines will have diminished purchasing power. That's big C, that's consumption regarding investment, that's big I, in our national income accounts. This accounts for about 25% of GDP from 2016 to 2019. In the first quarter of this year, this has suffered the biggest decline, close to about 18.3% in the first quarter. So this is because of low investor confidence. We expect that it will continue to be negative in the second quarter, but may pick up depending on how well government plans to boost the public investments are implemented. I was just reading about government plans to increase infrastructure to ease our way out of this recession by further boosting infrastructure spending. That depends on how well these are implemented and how well this will boost investor confidence. As is, investments will adjust to diminished growth prospects. Some investments that would have seemed profitable before COVID-19 might be deemed unprofitable now and either would not be undertaken at all or undertaken to a much smaller degree. This will impact, for example, real estate and other related sectors. The current uncertainties with the virus, whether a vaccine will be developed, when it will be developed, whether there will be second or third waves, of this pandemic, God forbid, will factor into these uncertainties and will dampen investor sentiments. There's also the uncertainty regarding the issues surrounding CITERA, the corporate income tax or train to package. So that will also possibly dampen investor confidence. Now, G accounts for about 11% of GDP in the first 
quarter, it had a growth rate of 7.1%. This is coming from a historical year-on-year average of 6% from 2016 to 2019. So this is the only component that actually grew, but only by a bit. So we'll need to and will likely grow fast in the succeeding quarters, given the need. But then remember that it only contributes about 11% to GDP in the last couple of years. So it's very difficult for government expenditure to fully offset the decline in the other demand components. And when we say, gee, at least in the national income accounts, government consumption there doesn't include public investments. Public investments are included in investments. And this is uh, likely because we have a lot of public-private partnerships. Public infrastructure spending is accounted for in the investments in, in GDP. When it comes to net exports, net exports was actually less negative in the first quarter of 2020 than in previous quarters. In a sense, its contribution to GDP is higher, but this is not really good news, as both exports and imports were down. Exports declined by 3%, while exports declined by an even higher rate of 9%. Now, the steep decline in imports not only dampens both household and government consumption, but also has adverse implications on firms and industries that rely heavily on imported inputs, such as wholesale and retail, manufacturing, construction, etc. So we expect that both exports and imports will still be down in the next quarters. Okay, so that's the demand side. Now, in the supply side, we have uh, three main sectors in the economy. We have agriculture, which accounts for 10% of GDP, industry, which accounts for about 31% of GDP, and services, which accounts for 59% of GDP. Looking at agriculture, in the first quarter, this was down by about negative 0.4%. This is from a historical year-on-year average of about 3% from 2016 to 2019. Second quarter is expected to be bad. This was affected by the lockdown since many farmers were not able to work and the supply chains have been broken. If domestic supply chain is fixed, there might be some recovery in the third and fourth quarters, but agricultural production exports might be affected by weaker demand overseas. In terms of industry, this is down by 3% in the first quarter from a historical year-on-year average of about 6% from 2016 to 2019. Unfortunately, we again expect this to be much worse in the succeeding quarters, especially in the second quarter. Construction was basically stopped in ECQ areas, so one can expect a catastrophic drop in output for construction in the second quarter. Utilities also actually up in the first quarter by 5.3%, but I think it will be down in the second quarter because even if residential electricity consumption is likely going up as most people remain home, commercial and industrial electricity consumption are plunging. And note that residential electricity consumption makes up only about 30% of total electricity consumption. Much of electricity consumption is by our commercial and industrial sectors. Manufacturing, which was down 3.6% in the first quarter, will likely be down a much greater amount in the second quarter. A small part of manufacturing will experience tremendous growth, in particular those involved in the production of protective equipment and alcohols and cleansers. The rest will experience a decline. 
there will not be a full recovery for the rest of the year as domestic and foreign demand will also be down. The last sector, services, which is the biggest sector, now is up by 1.4% in the first quarter, but this is down from a historical year-on-year average of 7% from 2016 to 2019. And uh, we expect that it will continue to be done in the second quarter. And looking at transportation and storage and accommodation and food service activities, these will fall even more precipitously in the second quarter and can be expected to be much lower in the third and fourth quarters compared to the previous year. Wholesale and retail trade, repair of motor vehicles, and motorcycles and financial and insurance activities and professional and business services are also likely to be down. The only upside is in terms of information and communication, as well as public administration and defense, as these uh, services subsectors are expected to be resilient throughout the rest of the year. It is actually possible that even the health services might experience a decline especially those with non-COVID-related and non-urgent medical issues are likely to avoid or will be unable to go to hospitals and clinics. In that case, I'm actually glad, Prof. Sarah, that you brought up the breakdown. But is there a silver lining to all of these data? Because if you look at even on the supply and demand sides, there seems to be no upside to these results. I think it looks pretty bleak, as Professor Sarah mentioned. There's really not a lot of room for maneuvering except for the government component. Government has to do the heavy lifting this year. And of course, there's a limit to how much government can do. Even if government doubles its expenditure, it's not going to fully offset what they expect to be the decline in private consumption, in private investments, and so on. Speaking of government, the DBCC, or the Development Budget Coordination Committee, released a statement yesterday revising their growth projections for this year. So from, I think, negative 0.1 decline to zero growth forecast in March, it's now being downgraded to negative 2.4 to negative 3.4% this year. If the low end of that target, which is negative 3.4%, will be realized, it's going to be the lowest since negative 6.9% in 1985. Basically, my question is, do you agree to this assessment? I think it's on the sort of optimistic side, even. If you look at the breakdown of GDP by quarter, the first three quarters usually their contribution is about the same. And but the fourth quarter, its contribution is bigger compared to each of the first three quarters. For the country, for example, to achieve negative three percent growth, given that growth was basically flat in the first quarter, that means that for the next three quarters, approximately GDP will have to decline by on average around four percent per quarter for the next three quarters. I think for the second quarter, it's going to be really, really bad. I don't think it's unimaginable, for example, that GDP would have declined by more than 10%, for example. I don't think that's beyond imagination. So that means that in the next two quarters, in the third and fourth quarters, the scope for GDP to decline is only by about 1% for the third and fourth quarters, which is very, very optimistic. So I think even those targets might be difficult to achieve. Maybe possible, but quite difficult. Let me just clarify, Professor Jeff. You're saying that it's difficult to achieve in a good sense? In a bad sense. I'm saying that the DBCC revised projections, they're even on the optimistic side. Given what the data in the first quarter and given what I think will be really bad data for the second quarter, 
I think 3% decline for the year, that's even quite optimistic. We've talked about growth, so let's move on to development. In the previous quarters, the government seems to have made strides in reducing unemployment and even poverty incidents. I think in 2018, it was 16.6% among individuals based on the FIES data. I think they're targeting somewhere close to 14, if I remember it right, by 2022. And even then, NEDA had Ernesto Pernia actually considered meeting a target of 11%. But this was before COVID-19. Now that we're in this pandemic, do you see that happening? Okay, let me answer it in two parts. First, in terms of the effect of COVID on employment, because this will impact on household income and poverty and so on. If you map the growth by sector into the employment by sector, I think the sectors that stand out because of negative or weak first quarter growth and likely high negative growth the rest of the year, and because of their large employment share, are the following. So first, you have wholesale and retail trade, including the repair of motor vehicles. Second, you have transportation and storage. Third, accommodation and food service activities, which includes restaurants. Fourth, construction. And fifth, manufacturing. So together, these five sectors employ about 20 million workers based on the Labor Force Survey 2018, which is about 50% of the total employed in the country. So if you break it down, wholesale and retail trade has about 8 million workers, about 44% of whom are in the poorest half of the households in the country. Construction has about 4 million workers, 61% of whom are in the poorest half of the households. Transportation and storage has about 3 million workers, 52% of whom are in the poorest half of households. Accommodation and storage has about 2 million workers, 39% of whom are in the poorest half of households. Manufacturing is about 4 million workers, 44% of whom are in the poorest half of households. So a good portion of these workers are likely to have lost or to lose their jobs because of COVID-19 for the rest of the year. To the extent that a large share of these workers belong to low-income households, which are highly dependent on wage and entrepreneurial income, then many of these workers will fall into poverty. Now, in terms of uh, specific targets, in summary, in the short to medium term, COVID-19 makes it much less likely for the country to meet the PDP goals of reducing poverty incidence in rural areas to 20% by 2022 and reducing unemployment rate below 5% by 2022. In terms of poverty, based on the 2018 FIES, rural household poverty incidence was at 19% and the rural individual poverty incidence was at 25%. So the poverty target Either it was already achieved or was close to being achieved in 2018. But at the moment, we did some simulations and our estimate is that without government transfers, because of COVID-19, poverty incidents in the country will more than double from the 2018 level. And the effect on poverty gap and severity will be even worse. They will either triple or quadruple. It makes it much harder to achieve the poverty target. With respect to unemployment, Unemployment rate in January 2020, so just before the uh, lockdowns, was at 5.3%. So the goal was 5% by 2020, so it was already very close. The next survey was supposed to have been done in April, but I suppose the PSA was not able to do it because of the ECQ. My guess is that unemployment rate in April easily exceeded 30%. I think it will only go down slowly and nowhere near its previous level up to the end of the year at the very least, and maybe up to next year. 
Furthermore, because COVID-19, through its effect on employment and income, will also have a downstream effect on enrollment and health outcomes. That is, some families may not be able to send their children to school or even participate in online classes, and others may not be able to afford uh, healthcare expenditures, so it will also affect our hope of achieving a high level of human development by 2022. The SDG targets are for 2030, and of course, a lot can still happen between now and 2030, whether and when a vaccine will be developed, and how quickly things can go back to where it was before COVID-19. But certainly, everything remaining the same, COVID-19 has made it less likely for us to achieve the targets of zero poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, and decent work and economic growth, among others, by 2030. Are you assuming COVID-19 is going to last for the entire year, or is it going to last a bit longer than that? The assumptions we made was that the effect of COVID-19 will remain up to the end of the year, but the effect on employment will not disappear just because the lockdown disappears. We are assuming different impacts on employment and then different lengths of the lockdown and then simulating the effect on individual income of different lengths of unemployment. So for example, because of the lockdown and COVID-19, unemployment rate will be 50% during April. And then this will slowly go down up to, say, 15% by December. So it's not an immediate decline from 50 to 15%, but a linear decline. If that happens, uh, some people will lose money for those months they were unemployed, so their contribution to household income will disappear. This will impact on their per capita income, so this will impact on their poverty status. For this year, for sure, it's going to be worse. What about for 2022? So you're saying that it's possible that the gains made in the previous years by this administration will be thrown out of the window by 2022 because of COVID-19? I think that's a possibility. It depends on whether a vaccine will be developed, which is not a certainty. If there's no vaccine, then that means that the things that we used to do before, which resulted in a lot of employment for people, for example, going to the malls, going to restaurants, there will be less activity for those things. So they will be employing a lot less people. So that will impact the employment. What about you, Prof. Sarah? Uh, is there additional insights that you would like to share with us? These factor in the expected shape of economic recovery that uh, we're going to see in the next couple of quarters. No? So regarding that, there's a New York Times article which shows that the U.S. recovery shape will be closer to like a Nike swoosh instead of a U-shape. This is expected to be true for most countries, including the Philippines. A swoosh or protracted U-shape will depend, as Prof. Jeff said, on the development of a vaccine and also a favorable combination of government policies uh, that are put in place to help the economy recover. What about the W-shaped form? Do you see that happening? Because one of the apprehensions now with the modified ECQ is, okay, so the government just opened some businesses starting May 15. So we're going to see some reprieve of that economic activity since shops are starting to resume operations. But on the other hand, there might be a possibility that we're going to see the so-called wave 2 of COVID-19 cases, hence the W-shape scenario. Do you see that happening? That's certainly a risk in highly populated areas like Metro Manila. So that's really one scenario that we have to guard against. Since you've already given your projections regarding employment, GDP, and poverty, my next question is, how does this episode differ from previous health and economic episodes? 
for one, it's a self-imposed crisis. But just like other crises, we're seeing the you know quantitatively the same effects. Consumption's down, investment is down, consumer investor confidence are down, exports are down. But this time, one difference is that imports are even more down. It's certainly different than other crises because it's affecting the entire world, both developed and developing economies. This is certainly an unprecedented crisis. I think one important difference also in the case of the Philippines is that if you compare to the 1997 and 2008 crisis, now we, th- we can't rely on the lifeline that we used to have, which is remittances. So from 97 to 2008, remittances played a very important part in the Philippine economy, much more important than it's played in recent years. This time, OFWs were displaced and possibly many more will come back over the remaining months of the year. As has been projected by the World Bank and my colleague Alvin Ang in Ateneo, remittances are likely to uh, go down. So some projections are by as much as 30%. As already stated, this will likely impact the private consumption, which before was the constant in the Philippine economy. No matter what happened to GDP, private consumption always grew at around 6%. Now, that may not be possible anymore. Should we expect structural changes? in the economy once the COVID-19 is over. So we're talking about the reliance on remittances, the reliance on certain sectors, or clamoring for reforms. In the very short term, I think the government should continue to support affected low-income households, whether they're still an ECQ or not. So just because the ECQ is lifted, it does not mean people can get back to their previous jobs. So they may not have any job to get back to. But of course, such continued support is very costly, So I think the government should do a better job of targeting its support programs to those who are really in need and in making sure that there is no duplication of support. The support can be in the form of cash grants or emergency of employment programs as is being planned already by the government. So moving forward, the government needs to improve the social protection programs for the working poor, especially those in self-employment. So a subsidized social security should be considered to get them registered and to give them safety net during crisis. The possibility of unemployment insurance should also be discussed for the future. Of course, economic recovery programs are very important. My colleagues in the Ateneo de Manila University Department of Economics, for example, have prepared a plan for reviving the Philippine economy under a new normal, including by channeling investments outside traditional growth centers like Metro Manila, Cebu, and Davao, and implementing a debt finance growth strategy for the next two to three years and shifting some infrastructure programs to public-private partnerships to increase available resources for protection and economic recovery. In other words, a more domestic-driven economy rather than one that relies on exports or remittances. Because these are not things that we can probably count on in the next couple of years. We're certainly looking at structural changes that need to happen in our economy. This pandemic has brought to light the importance of a thriving and resilient agricultural sector. We need to build more farm-to-market roads, improve supply chain management and coordination, strengthen flexibility and adaptability to these lockdown restrictions. These are key to our survival. For one, we have to boost consumer and investor confidence for aggregate demand to pick up. 
I think this is the key because even after the lockdown is lifted, we expect consumer and investor confidence to still be down. One way that this can be done is through the effective and clear communication of public and health and safety measures or protocols, even before the lifting of the lockdown. In the absence of mass testing, random sample testing in workplaces can be implemented. My colleagues at the UP School of Economics has a discussion paper that delves into how this can be implemented. Because of this uh, ECQ, you know, we've seen an upsurge of the use of digital platforms all over. We have to leverage on these platforms and develop better digital infrastructure to facilitate both domestic and foreign transactions in the face of physical mobility restrictions. Information technology, particularly the e-payment system, can help in facilitating online buying or selling, payment of utilities and other recurring bills, etc. As a last point, it cannot be overemphasized that the government plays a very crucial multifaceted role in spurring the economy out of a recession, both fiscal and monetary policy. This pandemic has brought both fiscal and monetary policies more in line with each other. You know, just to end on an optimistic note, this too will pass. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Business World Research Head Leo Uy speaking with Professor Jeffrey Dukanis and Professor Sarah Lynn Dawai Dukanis about Q1 GDP data. The point to contraction in January to March represents the end of 84 quarters or 21 years of uninterrupted growth. While things were bad in Q1, Q2 is probably going to be worse, as the numbers will reflect the brunt of the lockdown. As restrictions are lifted, a quick economic rebound is unlikely, and the optimistic growth targets the country set will have to be revisited. This is Samuel Marcello. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay sane.